0: Hello everybody, welcome back to Soccer in the States. Uh, This week is with Mr. Paul Cattle. a really really interesting podcast, one of the most informational ones that I've done uh, to say the least. Paul Cattle is originally from Nigeria, he immigrated here when he was young with his family uh, and and has traveled around the world a lot. Uh, Paul spoke to me about his early life and coming from Nigeria uh, Paul also played collegiately over here and after he was done in college uh, went on to play professional indoor soccer and also played in the Outdoor Professional League at the time that was going on in Michigan. Uh, very, very interesting man. You know, someone that when I heard this story I felt like I had to get in touch with him. Uh, you know, incredibly motivational. Uh, Paul's story centres around... Him originally being a teacher at Mason High, and then he went on to found the Cato International Training Academy, uh, KITA for short. And this is basically, uh, he has now kind of set up this soccer school type thing in Nigeria that's, that's you know, really given people uh, an opportunity. The, the town that he was brought up in, it's given people an opportunity to get out. This guy has literally built this school from the ground up, pouring in a lot of his own money, uh, using his own contacts. I mean, just incredibly inspirational. I'm sitting speaking to him and and I couldn't believe the things he's done. It really inspired me and and made me want to help in any way that I could as well. And I'm sure when you guys listen to it, you'll feel the same. Uh, Really, really good guy, someone that's incredibly passionate about soccer and has kind of made it his life mission now to help people that are unfort- less fortunate than he is. And and we spoke a lot about you know being privileged and, and what that means growing up and you know the troubles that we have compared to the, the troubles that people have in, in these third world countries. We touched a little bit about the immigration issues that are going on both in here and abroad right now, uh, the UNICEF money and, and where the funding's going. It was just really a, a fantastic podcast from a very, very intelligent, very kind man, uh, someone that I hope to keep in touch with. And uh, as I said, he inspired me and, and hopefully I'm kind to w- want to become involved with him more and, and try and help him out in his project in Nigeria. Uh, my aim for this post- podcast is, is that other people might be able to help as well. Uh, the great thing about soccer is that it kind of unites people worldwide. And I'm sure when you guys listen to this, and and let me tell you, the sincerity and everything he says is is evident to see. So hopefully, when you listen to this, you, you feel inspired. At the end of the podcast, it gives him gives some information that how you can help out in any way if you feel that you would like to. Uh, from what he tells me, these people in Nigeria are are really, really in badly need of our help, uh, and he's doing great things. Uh, a great man, and I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. Uh, this episode, once again, sponsored by Murad.com uh, for all your skin care needs. Uh, use code JOHNNYFOOTBALL5 at checkout for 10% off. Enjoy, guys. Talk to you soon. Uh, Paul, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you today? Doing well? Doing great. Good. Yeah. Uh, so, Paul, to start, let's just talk a little bit about your kind of background, like, you know, where you were brought up, mm-hmm. you know, what uh, what first brought you to be involved with the game and, and, and give the listeners a little bit of background information on sure. you.
1: Well, I was born in Nigeria. Yeah, I am from Nigeria originally, and I left Nigeria when I was about 12 years old. My parents came uh, to the States. My dad came to the States. He was working on his Ph.D. And uh, came and loved the States and loved, loved their way of life and everything. And three years later, he sent for all of us, and we all came to the States. And then he, uh, once he got his degree, we went to Kenya. So we lived in, in, in Kenya for a while. I went to a school, Rift Valley Academy, in, in, uh, in uh, Kijabi, Kenya. And uh, then my dad uh, was deceased, died while we were in Kenya. So we moved back to Nigeria where I finished my high school, my last three years of high school at Hillcrest Academy in Jos, Nigeria. Okay. And then I, uh, after that, I came to the States for, for, for college,
0: right? for university. And that's, I've been here ever since and what uh whereabouts how, how did that happen that you first got linked up with a college in the states were you did you come on like an f1 visa like everyone else or had you had somewhere that you had already planned on going
1: well i went to an american school rift valley academy and Hillcrest academy are both american schools so naturally there were a lot of american kids okay canadians you know all nationalities basically yeah. But most kids that go to those schools come to the States for for college. So my best friends, who were also soccer players, because that's all we ever did, uh, was play soccer. And uh, my best friends were going to come to the States to play. Uh And so they asked me if I would care to join them. I mean, well, we actually kind of colluded to... (laughs) You know, we didn't have all that many choices. We were, we were too busy playing soccer, you know? Uh-huh. And they said, well, we're going to Spring Arbor University for college. And I said, sure, I'll go too. Okay. So that's kind of how I ended up at Spring
0: Arbor. Okay. Yeah. And I guess kind of moving on from that with your, like, h- how did you first get involved in soccer? Was that something that your, your dad did or, you know, where, where did your love for soccer kind of start?
1: No, my parents, were, my parents were more academics. They really... Uh, i was wasting my time with soccer but oh. we loved to play i mean that's all we did all day we played all day we played all night you know out in the streets and everything else yeah. it wasn't organized or anything but uh it was just i i just i can't remember a day when i didn't play soccer
0: when i was a kid
1: uh-huh. so we just developed a natural love for it yeah. and followed the national team of course and yeah. everything. So.
0: Uh, and then from then, so you went to Spring Arbor College and then where mm-hmm. did your kind of life take you after that? Well, I
1: was at Spring Arbor for, four, I did my four years at Spring Arbor where I did, I did pretty well. Uh, I was an All-American and, and all East, and all that and, yep. and won a lot of honors from there. And then um, after that, then the American Indoor Soccer Association was starting uh-huh. the Ka- Kalamazoo Kangaroos and... okay. I went out and I made it um, uh from there, I kind of went the went that route you know yeah. that semi pro route and played in a couple of different places uh yeah. kalamazoo fort wayne louisville okay um where we won the championship one year i guess
0: and 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 professional soccer in the united states from from my understanding was really different at that time. you had the uh, the NESL at the time that, mm-hmm. you know, Pele and Beckenbauer and all those guys had been playing. But then you had this kind of unique indoor professional soccer thing oh, that right. had been going on that, you know, I've spoke to, I've got some friends that have played in that. And mm-hmm. it was kind of different, especially, I guess, since, you know, soccer was growing and obviously is still growing, but back then was even more so that, you know, what was, what was the kind of environment like and what was the level like? Did you feel like it was all at kind of internationals or were there some american players that were were on board at that time
1: i would say most of them were still internationals there yeah. are a lot of international players i just remember a lot of european players and um a lot of, and some african players but you know, there was a few americans at that point but the americans really hadn't caught caught on to the game yet yeah and uh, so there was a lot of development that needed to happen in that particular area during that during that time
0: yeah, and it's very different to now. I mean, now they've got, obviously, they've got the MLS, but they've also got several professional leagues under that. Mm-hmm. There's professional futsal leagues. Indoor soccer still going strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very different climate now, but, you know, certainly it's interesting to hear about how that was back then and, you know, what, what the kind of crowds were you getting, what people's reactions were, like, when they were like, oh, you play mm-hmm. soccer? Like, mm-hmm.
1: It was actually pretty cool. Uh, yeah. You know, we played... I think one of our our crowds were normally anywhere between two to three thousand, okay. you know, in an indoor stadium, and it was usually in an, in a in a rink somewhere, yeah. you know. Um, played in Columbus, played in uh, Fort Wayne, of course, in Louisville, and for, and um, Kalamazoo, and in Chicago, uh-huh. you know. And so the markets were getting a little bit bigger, and uh-huh. you know some of some of the playoff games where you would you would have five to six thousand people. At, at the game so it wasn't really bad but um
0: it was def- definitely very unique it was a great time yeah for soccer and how and how long did you play there when did you kind of decide to move away from playing professionally
1: i played i played pro- prof- i played professionally for four years after that then i uh, decided i needed to just settle down because at that time I, would, my, I had a son my son was born and it was one of those situations where I either had to go all the way in with soccer or kind of think about what I wanted to do in the future. So because I could either play in the indoor league during the winters and then play in the outdoor league during yeah. the summers, but then I, that would mean that would require a lot of moving from yeah. different from city yeah. to city, you know, living that gypsy life. Yeah. And uh, I really didn't want to do that. I felt like I needed to go I wanted to go into coaching. Okay. And so a coaching job came open at Western Michigan University. And so I was an assistant coach at Western uh, for two years. And I really thought I wanted to go to the college coaching. Route. Uh-huh. But um, I found that I like the youth better than I like like the
0: professional level. Uh-huh. So, and so there, that, that made you make the transition to becoming a teacher?
1: To becoming co- a
0: coach. A coach! And then
1: I, I, I uh, yeah. And then I decided, and one of one of my friends, one of my teacher friends, said, "Hey, you know what? You like kids. Why don't you Why don't you think about teaching teaching high school?" Okay. And so I, so I, I, decided to shift in that direction. And uh, so it was kind and of an accident, in the yeah, way. Yeah, it was. Kind of, it was. <laughs> or maybe fate. And uh, So I, I, and at that time, I was doing a lot of coaching too. I was coaching club teams. I was coaching ODP and okay. you know, and doing all of that stuff in Michigan also. Yeah. So.
0: Yep, as coaches do. I'm I'm doing the same thing myself right now. bouncing okay. between club and college and trying to go everywhere around. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. So it's a good life, but yeah. it can be it can be tiring at times. Running around doing camps and yeah. uh, and things like that. So I guess this moves us to kind of your project now with your uh, your mm-hmm. How did that all come about? You know, had that been something that you'd been thinking about for a long time, or was there something that kind of was the catalyst to to you wanting to do this well
1: the whole time when i was after i left nigeria i was raising my kids and busy with life like the rest of us coaching different teams and doing all that stuff and i hadn't been back for i think 12 to 15 years okay and so when i went back i was i experienced what i would call culture shock really i mean it was the living, the living standards were just awful. I mean, I just... And I saw a lot of kids that were playing in the streets and doing all that stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what, these kids, and they were very good. I mean, they're very good players because that's all they do. They're very skillful players, but yeah. really didn't have a chance. So no. my heart just kind of went out to the fact that, you know, whatever, what am I really called to do? So I kind of looked at it and... Uh, the two areas I'm really interested in is education, of course, because I'm a teacher, and and soccer, and so I thought, well, how can I combine this two the two things that I love doing, to uh, try to actually help do my part, so to speak, give back, and uh, so that that's how the idea of
0: KEDA came along. Yep, yeah. and you know I was watching some of your your videos online about it, and you know just like watching. Uh, there was, you know, at one point it looked like there was twenty kids out there, and some of them in pennies, some of them not in pennies. But there was no goals. They're just playing because they love it. There's no, they're knocking balls around and all, just having fun. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think some, you know, it's it's interesting. I don't think it's any any surprise that those players that come out of places like Nigeria and Africa and, and you know in some South American countries, mm-hmm. they become. Almost expert dribblers in a way because mm-hmm. you know, they're navigating through 15, 20 players at a time. Mm-hmm. No one's really trying to pass the ball. No one's really shooting. Mm-hmm. So you know those players have got an amazing ability on the ball, close control, mm-hmm. skillful, technical, uh, and and that's something that I try to replicate in my when I'm coaching my young boys. I'm always like you know like obviously we can teach passing, we can mm-hmm. teach passing down the way, mm-hmm. but for now, dribble take people on, do skills, have fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I guess a good question to ask you since you've you've been at both sides was what, what would you say the difference is with, you know, the good American kids that are playing here, that there are lots of them, you know, young, good American kids that are maybe playing in ODP compared to the same level of kid that's in Nigeria that are, you know, they don't have the you know, what you would call soccer IQ, mm-hmm. but they have an ability and, and exp- an expression that's mm-hmm. that's that you don't see. I don't see it in Scotland. I, I don't see it a lot of places in Europe. It's really these more lower developed countries that have these kids come out with this ability to just mm-hmm. be magical. And we, and we see it in the World Cup. You know, what, what, what was your perspective on that? Well, I think,
1: I think, <laughs> I guess one of my biggest criticisms of ODP... Yeah, well, I shouldn't say criticisms. I think when I, or at least, when my from my experience, um, is sometimes the kids are a little bit too controlled. By that I mean, the, the Nigerian kids are kids that grow up, they they know their style. They watch Messi. Yeah, a player is going to watch Messi because he loves Messi, and he's going to try everything that Messi tries, and he's going to try it in the game, and he's not going to get you know, because nobody really is watching them. They just do what comes naturally, that natural ability. And um, what I found with my ODB kids when I was coaching here was just, I think they were a little bit held back, reserved. You know, we're taught the three parts of the field, and, you know, you're only supposed to do this at a certain part of the field, and therefore, you know, so it puts a little restraint on on those particular players. So they're, so I question their expression, how are they really expressing themselves? Whereas the kids in Nigeria, they're just free. They just, they just, they just love to play. Now, on the other end, Nigerian teams, or if you've noticed, you know, Afri- I would almost say African teams generally, very skillful, but not very organized. Yeah. If they have to hold a one-zero league, you one-zero uh, lead, it's a problem. Yeah. Okay, because they're just not. You
0: know, they're more likely to win five three or (laughs) four two or four three or something like that. (laughs) Or something
1: like that. So you know, but you know, it's it's a give and take. And I think I think uh, I think it's just you know, I think I think Nigerians need a little bit more structure as they get older, as they as they start to develop their style. You don't want to lose that ability like the like like the Brazilians or anything like that. But I think that um, Yeah, it's it's just different. It's different
0: You know and, and I've been exposed to I had a kind of When I lived in Kansas I had a coach Andy Barney Who runs a, a Very successful soccer club mm-hmm. In Kansas And his club is Almost all of their training's done indoor In a small little Boxed area And he preaches To everybody About Dribbling All he creates is these innate, skillful dribblers and strikers of the ball. Mm -hmm. And these kids do 1v1s for hours and hours. And he he gets some criticism from some friends of mine, you know, that not enough of the game is being taught. But when you see these kids out on the field playing in ODP Mm -hmm. or their high school teams, Mm -hmm. you just see these kids taking people on, doing skills, Mm -hmm. like you've never seen anything. Now the trick is... How do we combine the both cultures, as you right. said? Because my issue with a lot of coaching over here, I, I'm sure from what you're saying I think you'll agree, is that it's too much drills. Like, okay, here's a passing drill. You pass to here. You mm-hmm. get the ball. You pass to here. Mm-hmm. You pass back to this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's all, you know, that's, the game's not like that. Right. You, can't, you can't play like that in the game. So, mm-hmm. you know, what we get from these South American, African mm-hmm. players is a level of creativity mm-hmm. that... That doesn't seem to happen, and with a lot of European kids and a lot of American kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess as soccer coaches, how do we combine both of those cultures and make, yeah. you know, someone that's yeah. that's that's able to do both? I guess.
1: Well, I think it's 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 a balance, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I look at France, for example. I mean, they have a lot of African African descent players, uh-huh. but they're players that probably grow up in that environment. I don't really know that much about them, but I, my, my guess is that they grew up in that environment, but then they got a structure and a system in place. Yes. And as a result, we're very highly successful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's just a question of balance of, of,
0: you know, what, what is the balance going to be? Yeah. So I guess we kind of went off topic there, but I guess moving back to your, your, uh, Keita project. Mm-hmm you you know how did that come about in the way that you you got back there you know you wanted to do something i mean i was watching some of your videos online and you were literally bricks and mortar like it looked like it was just a muddied area and (laughs) literally now it's a school so how did that all happen did you have to buy (laughs) land out there yeah it's been
1: it's been a 10-year process actually and we've made some mistakes we we started a club in a couple of different cities Kaduna which is uh, and Kano and Jos we've started like three different club club systems and they've all failed and, and the reason they basically well I shouldn't say they failed it's it's we just did not get the government support to do that okay in fact we were hindered by the government by, by from doing from doing a lot of those, those items. I don't know so we felt we had to go back to square one. We had to really start from the very, very bottom. So yes, I went through and I, we started acquiring land. Um, we decided we were going to build the academy from the bottom up. There's no shortcuts. And so yes, we build, We started building the, the actual physical structure. We had, we had three goals. Number one is to build a structure. We needed an infrastructure that was there. So we, we, we bought, I think, about 80 hectares. A large piece of land and we started to develop it. And then um, the chief, we're building in a small, tiny little village. Okay. You know, so it's kind of often removed. The chief was very supportive of us and, and basically said, you know, here's, here's, he, he so he supported the people. He, he bought, brought the people together and we bought all the land from them. And then we started building the structure. And now we've got the, we, we have the, the structure in place and now we're starting to look for players. We're scouting for players in the different places in the September uh, actually this this last last month we had 60 players out there we narrowed it down from about 160 players to 60 players okay and we brought them for a one week camp residential camp and uh, then we've narrowed it down to 30 kids okay. that are getting invitations as we speak to attend school there right so it's going to be an academic school it's going to be it's going to be highly highly um, um, academically it's going to be highly challenging and it's also going to be a soccer school. So those kids, not not only must they perform on the field, but they must perform in the classroom also.
0: Excellent. And that's a very, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm taking a guess saying this, but I don't imagine there's one of those in every town in Nigeria. No. no.
1: It's very, very unique. It's yeah. very different. It's very, the outlook is very, it's very uh It's almost aggressive. like the
0: academies that, you know, that <laughs> I grew up in in Europe. Like that's what, you know, you go to, school for four periods and then you do two periods of soccer yep. like every day so how you know how is the I guess kind of several several parts to this question but where you know where is your you know your your funding your teachers your coaches the supplies where is, is things like that coming from
1: well the funding funding comes from friends <laughs> whoever I can shake down to, uh, to help with with the project uh, we don't have any big donors or anything like that. A lot of it, a lot of it has come from from my family, uh-huh. uh, you know. And uh, but then we've had support from my high school. My high school kids have really helped a lot in, in, in raising funds for the school itself. In fact, I've even taken a couple of kids out there to actually help build the school. And um, and then uh, the rest of it is just just whoever, whatever friends learn about the project and and, are, and can support us, right. Uh, the teachers, we just, we hired all the local, we hired te- locally.
0: Okay, probably.
1: And uh, we we are going to have five or six teachers that are going to be, to, they're going to start the school with us. We had about 60 applications. Man, I mean, it's, we're just, we become the biggest employer of this in, in, that, in
0: that little village, you yeah. know, which is another thing that was just. It was just hard wrenching, really. Yeah, I mean, I saw something super interesting. As I said, I was kind of kind of doing some research, and mm-hmm. I saw like it was a you guys interviewed like a cook, and you said to her, you know, well, what what are you what are you looking to earn? And she was like, well, anything. Right. And you were like, well, right, or well, what? Even like, she's like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, well, one dollar, like, yeah, like jo- almost yeah. jokingly, and she just says, well, yeah. I have nothing, so right. one dollar is amazing. Yeah,
1: and uh, you know, it's. It, you know, it's amazing. The project itself was not really designed to do that. But, but you know, it, it just happen. ends up, it just happens. That, yeah. that, you know, what people that are building it, the, the brick, the guys that are laying the bricks and all that, they, the minute I walked on, 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 on site, they were like, thank you very much. You know, you've, you've provided for our families the past couple of months. So, you know, it's a plus plus. Yeah. You know, and um, it's hard work. It's, it's. You know, it's really hard. It's yeah. probably the
0: toughest thing I have ever done in my life, but yeah. it's the most rewarding. Of course, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, when I, when I heard the story, I was kind of felt like it, it's almost like you, you, you know these things go on, mm-hmm. but you don't really know. You know, you see them on TV, but I imagine when you found yourself in that environment, You're almost like I have to do something. Yeah, you 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 spoke a lot in your videos about being privileged and how much we don't realise how privileged we are, and we have we all have daily struggles. We have relationship issues, money issues, work worries, stresses, things like that. Mm -hmm. But when you're in an environment like that, Mm -hmm. you must feel incredibly privileged and and almost be like oh i don't have any worries
1: very much so because you know i look at those kids when i go to that village i mean it was my it was where my dad grew up that was our village and and um, i look at those kids and i think to myself how did i get so lucky yeah. you know i mean i could have easily been one of those kids that are, yeah. that are
0: just on the streets right now yeah so and uh wh- wh- what about the soccer coaches in that area have, have they been employed locally as well or mm-hmm.
1: the soccer coaches are from nigeria and what we are our plan is basically to give them some more training okay. obviously they are you know they have some training but you know i, I you know like i have my my B license here ah. and uh, i look at their training methods and it's not it's not really up to par yet and uh our our plan was number one structure which we have now and number two now is going to be training uh-huh. training for not just our coaches but also for our teachers
0: yeah you know we want to make sure that they get up to snuff uh, on, on all of that stuff I mean because I presume you, your goal out of this is not only to provide these children like a, a good education and a good you know a stru- little bit more structure in their soccer knowledge but mm-hmm. you know to provide some players out of this that yeah. can possibly come to America mm-hmm. and can mm-hmm. come and you mm-hmm. know Earn a, earn a college degree and then do the, this can all have a snowball effect. You know, yes. mm-hmm. Those children came through that project, mm-hmm. you know, they'll feel a sense that they want to do the same thing. And, you know, w- mm-hmm. what difference could this make 20, 30, 50 mm-hmm. years down the
1: line? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also have to mention the rush, rush, you know, the rush, the soccer club uh-huh. here in the States, uh, it's, it's an international club. Right now, and they have what they call the Reach program, and the Reach program is they take old uniforms from like last year and they donate them to third world countries. Yep. and uh, they've helped us a lot. When you look at our our kids that are out there, everything they're wearing is from the Rush itself, okay. and so we're a part of Rush. And Rush, um, they also have Pen FC now, okay. which is semi pro league, and they're they're moving up in the ranks, and they're we're looking to promote our players to them too um in that
0: area uh i guess kind of moving on from that what would you say uh like how you know it's soccer something that you know i'm very grateful that i was involved in it's brought me to this country and and things like that how you know what, what is your i guess for want of a better phrase your aim from providing these kids with a better soccer you know i mentioned a little bit about you know, possibly bringing them to the United States at a later stage. But, you know, what do you feel that, you know, soccer is is providing to these kids over here? So much. You know, I think one of the problems Africa has
1: right now is leadership. And I think that soccer, for me, I've learned a lot about leadership. I've learned a lot about teamwork. I've learned about self-confidence. I've learned all those things from the game itself, you know. And I just think that... uh, if there's one thing that's needed in Africa, it is all of those those factors, and those kids love the game so much that I think they're going to take away so much more than they even realize that they can. And so my 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 whole my whole approach to to, to the game is it's the game's given me a lot. Uh-huh. It has gotten me to where I am today. I think I would have probably been one of those troubled kids, you know. Um, if i didn't have the game but i always i never smoked drank did any of that stuff when i was younger just because i always wanted to play you know know, it was it was the motivation and so it kept me out of trouble it kept me kept kept me you know and it gave me everything i have today i i really can can point back to the game of soccer yeah
0: that's fantastic it's i mean it's certainly a great story and uh, you know, to hear you speak about it, how much you feel like it's given you the game, and now you're one. It's very commendable to know that how much you want to give back to the game now and give back to your community that you came from. Uh, I kind m- moving on a, f- a bit from that. You spoke. I saw in one of your videos. You kind of speaking about the harsh realities that that are in Nigeria at the moment. And uh, you, sp- you mentioned previously there about kind of some like with, with withholding from the government and things like that. Uh, you know, what, is, what, are, what are the art realities in Nigeria? As I said a little bit, we, we see things in the TV, mm-hmm. we read about it, but what is the, the kind of insider scoop? What, what is life like in, in Nigeria at the moment and in certain places in Africa? It's really hard. I, you know, I've, I've been
1: going back to Nigeria two, three times a year now for 10 years, for the last 10 years. And I've seen it grow progressively worse. I mean, the conditions, the living really conditions worse. of people, yes. Um, you know, the one good thing, the, the awesome thing about Nigeria is its people. The people are resilient. They are friendly. They will they will help each other. They will do all of that. But there's no employment. Employment, unemployment is just, phew, I, I, don't, I, I would almost guess 60, 70 percent you can't find a job anywhere uh, that's the first part the second part is the corruption that is rampant and it is rampant all over the place it's is scary and the infrastructure is not there you know we're sitting here with electricity and you know over there why i would say in a week i would probably have maybe 2 days 3 days worth of electricity you know in a week and so the infrastructure is not there. So, I mean, how do you develop, how do you develop, how do companies move in and create employment when you cannot, when the basic infrastructure is not there? Yeah. We have, for example, the school itself. We When we first started, we didn't have water. We don't have running water. How do we create bricks when we don't have running water? So we first, the first thing we had to do was spend money on digging a, digging a well. Right you know, that's gonna, that's gonna pump water out for us for, to, to be able to use. You talk about electricity, we don't, we, we, you know, we don't have electricity. Right now we're talking about the fact that we want our students to be exposed with, with the technology. And our cha- big challenge is how do we do it with, when you have two hours of power a day, you know? And uh, so we have to invest a lot just in the basic infrastructure, things like generators. We have three generators for the school because we have to have power at some yeah. point. So, you know all these things that security. We had to build those walls. If you look at our school, we have to build big walls, high walls around around the whole building. Well, we could have used those bricks to build buildings buildings instead. Yep. But now we have to worry about securing the place first.
0: And 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 why do you think that is? Like why why what is the the issues of security? You think is that from like local gangs or people that are. You know, do, do, do you not think that people in nigeria you know see this as good for the country or do you think that a lot of people are out just to well i to think himself? i think
1: whenever you have that level of poverty you're going to have your, your 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 society in decay and so people are looking for a way to earn a buck you know yeah and uh that's the first part second part is your security forces you know, somebody steals something and, you know, your chances, chances are they are not going to catch them. And then you, of course, you know, the Boko Haram problem that we've been having in Nigeria. And that's, that's a real issue because when you think about it, Boko Haram means no Western education. And what are we doing? We're yeah. building a school. Yeah. You know, so we're totally going against, right up against, against their, their principles. Yeah. And so the government, we can't, we can, we can't depend on the government to defend us. So we
0: have to create our own security systems that that will do that for yeah for us. I mean, it's just I, I just don't think that people know. I mean, I, I I didn't know this. Like, I thought you know, I obviously knew growing up that Africa was you know in a bad mm-hmm. a, a bad way, and they'd done the Live Aid and the Band Aid and mm-hmm. help bring things to Africa. But to hear you say you think it's getting worse mm-hmm. rather than better is mm-hmm. is mind blowing to me because I'm thinking where you know this aid, where is all the aid going that, that people are donating in stores and well, people are donating in clothes and time and, and and where is you know where is that aid going you i mean it's 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 it's
1: you know i saw a unicef project that they did out there and it was it was digging a uh, digging a well and i took i had the locals actually take me out and show me where it is and you know uh, and based on the documentation that I saw it was it was a huge amount that was given to it and 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 the the, the whole the borehole the which is the well doesn't even work you so, know they probably did it just enough to take a photo op and then leave
0: so someone's getting that money
1: yeah and it's and it's and it's it's I'm not this I I don't know where it is but I know that it's not getting down to where it needs to be and yeah. that's what really ticked me off into saying that you know what I can do better with the little resources that i have you know i can do better than than what this big 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 organizations
0: are doing yeah
1: because every dollar is
0: accounted for yeah but, but as you said with, with the level of corruption and people out to make money it's, it's shocking to think that people are taking advantage of organizations like that and it makes you mm-hmm. and it's and it's sad because obviously i'm sure unicef does does great work in right. certain places but it's certain individuals that you can't control they they can't control who's going out to the middle of a small town in Africa, and if that mm-hmm. person, who's supposed to be a charity right. worker, right. is saying they're digging a well and they don't actually do it, then how is everybody supposed to do? Supposed to know that? Yeah,
1: and it's it's you know, and and one of the one of the one of the key things, and you know, you mentioned the fact that you know why did I get into it? Well, you know, I was actually this is the literal picture. I was actually driving with one of my friends and it was a hot day it was like a hundred over a hundred degrees out there it was hot and on the side of the street was this little old woman grandmother carrying firewood on her head hot day and all of a sudden i hear these sirens and there's a government official coming through with their convoy of cars fancy cars with flags on them that look you know, pristine. We're talking Mercedes benzs and all of that stuff, completely air conditioned. You know, and this woman has to move aside, move across the ditch, carrying this, this this firewood on her head, for this guy to go through with his nice fancy convoy. And I'm thinking that's not right. And then I started, and then that kind of that kind of ticked me off. But then I thought to myself at that point, I thought to myself, well, here I am. I'm also in an air-conditioned car. What am I doing about it? We all say, well, you know what? It's, I don't have enough money. or We always have an excuse about why yeah. we can't do something, yeah. right? And uh, so that, that to me was a very vivid... That was the moment, I think, that, that I said, you know what? Stop looking at other people and maybe look at yourself and say, well, you know, what can you do? Yeah. I may not be able to save everybody, but I can save somebody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, anyone that's making a small change is, is is definitely positive, and I think anybody would agree with that. That was listening to that. Uh, I guess moving on to something a little bit more positive, sure. you were in the, <laughs> you were in Nigeria for part of the World Cup. How was how was that? How obviously oh, not the most successful World Cup right. for Nigeria. But from what I can see, it just looked like they were just the, the fans and the people of Nigeria were just overjoyed to see them. To see them playing, yes. this.
1: yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was it was great because we were at camp when uh, when Nigeria was playing, and the kids just watching the kids play was just. I mean, the kids were just awesome. They were they were just in awe, the way they watched the game. And it's funny because, you know, in in Nigeria, it's like everything, you know, like everywhere else in the rest of the world, except for the U.S. maybe. You know, everything stops. Yeah. I mean, there were were no cars in the streets. You know, crime went down and everything. (laughs) everything. Because everyone everyone was watching 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 the game. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's the one thing that unifies all Nigerians, whether Mm -hmm. they're Christian, Muslim,
0: whatever their background is, their ethnicity, whatever. It doesn't, doesn't, you know, kind of brings them together. Uh, and that's the thing about soccer, right? It's 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 one of those things that it's just everybody stops what they're doing and everybody's taking the day off work mm-hmm. and people are just watching it to, mm-hmm. uh, to to just support their country and support their nation okay. and and those those guys are are normal guys during the year but when they are playing for their country they're heroes. Right. Win, lose, or draw. Yep. Uh, which is very amendable. So. uh I, I, you know, speaking a little bit more. Uh, Kind of sorry, I'm going kind of sure. back and forward here. Uh, but uh, what you said about the immigration in, in one of your your posts was really interesting to me. You know, a lot of people in the United States have got very strong opinions, especially with the, the kind of current like leadership and things like that. You hear a lot of people making strong opinions about immigration you know and their own opinion on it but you you made a really good kind of interesting statement in one of your, your facebook lives and you said it kind of rung run home with me you said mm-hmm. i don't think anyone wants to leave their home mm-hmm. so it made me think you know okay well why are they leaving their home they're leaving their home because they want to do better for their family mm-hmm. so i guess what's your kind of opinion on that now that you've been over there and and, and you have been an immigrant yourself mm-hmm. Uh, as have I. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, what, what's your opinion on that and, and the amount of people that are coming in and out of the United States and the current political climate with it? You know, I just think, immigrate. I, I, I
1: just, I, I honestly don't think anybody wants to leave their home. No. When when you see people come here, I mean, you go to, to, to like, like Detroit and you find people, they, people of different ethnicities They're all all kind of clumped together. Why? Because it's familiar to them. Because it reminds them of home. So I think that people want to stay there. But like I said in my post, I can understand why people want to leave. Yeah. It is a hard life. And And everybody, I don't care what color or where you're from, I think you want a better life for your family. Yeah. And we will do anything, anything to, to do that. And I think the thing I love about America, you know, before all of all of this, it was I, I still love this country. Yeah. I th- it's still the greatest country in the world. Yeah. But I think we become we it, it we take it so for granted. You know, we walk around and we find things to whine and complain about when really we don't see the beauty in it, And the different colors, the different cultures that they all come together you know so i i really hope that people just learn to appreciate each other i because i do I, i i love it i i absolutely love this country i love this country i love nigeria too and I don't blame people that want to come here because this is this is the greatest country in the
0: world. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it's a land of opportunity. It right? really is. And mm-hmm. I, I was the same when I first came here. And obviously, I came from a, a privileged background as well. But mm-hmm. there's something about America that you, you come here and you feel you can do anything. Yeah. You know, you feel you can come here. If you want to be an astronaut, you can be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to work hard enough and you put in enough time and dedication, mm-hmm. America is the place the first- that... Mm-hmm. You can be anything you mm-hmm. want to be. Mm-hmm. You want to be a movie star, you mm-hmm. want to be a soccer player, you mm-hmm. want to be a. But that's what makes it
1: so unique, you know, is because you can come from anywhere in the world and feel that way. And I think if you take that away, you're taking a huge part of who we are as Americans. Um, you're, ta- you're taking that away, and I'm not sure that it's going to be the same.
0: Yep. Yeah. So going forward with the kind of Kato International Training Academy, what, what, what's next? What's your plans for the next couple of years? What do, do you want to see this, this project in, in five years, and 10 years? What's your, your hopes and dreams for this?
1: Well, right now we have, we have 30 kids. 30 kids are going to be 13-year-olds uh, that are going to be there. And then every year we, we plan to add another year. We okay. will add another 30 kids. So the ones that we have now are, are quote-unquote freshmen. Uh-huh. Uh, um, well, actually eighth graders. And so when they become ninth graders, we're going to bring in a new 8th grade class. And we're going to move forward with that. And um, hopefully, what we're hoping to do is uh, maybe do it all the way until it's a full-blown high school. All the way from 8th grade to 12th grade. Okay. And then get the kids. We want to give kids more experiences. I would love to see some of my kids that are out there come out to uh, Mason, you know, Mason where I teach. And actually go to school there because yeah. of the experience. And I'd like to see some of the kids from the from Mason possibly go over there for for a semester or something. Yeah. You know, so I would like to see that those kinds of exchanges because I think that creates dialogue, that creates uh, some synergy between between schools and and so on. And then also I would like to see some of the kids actually succeed. You know, um, soccer wise. You know. Maybe go and play in the MLS or, or or play for college, college or university, and have the same opportunities I had. Yep. You know, and then hopefully they will be able to bring some of that back. So we're hoping we're hoping the next ten years, five, 10 years or so that uh, the school will be full blown, and then we've been approached again. What about the what about the girls? And women are a huge part of that society. Yeah, I mean they are—they are the doers and the shakers. Um, you know, like I said, one of my posts. Yeah, I saw that are, one. They're heroes. They're yeah. absolute heroes. You know, so we would like to like to like to
0: maybe establish something like that—the same type of model for women. Yeah, uh, I mean, and this is the bet. I mean, there's more women's programs than men's programs for co- mm-hmm. for collegially, right? Uh, I mean, I coach college in Texas at the moment, and the amount of women's programs in Texas are almost double what there is of the men's mm-hmm. uh, it's a huge sport and this is where you're getting the top level of soccer in the world Yes, which is different from the men's side Correct. so when, when you're putting girls into this environment mm-hmm. you're putting them in with the best players yes. in that sport mm-hmm. in the world which is quite a unique opportunity so yeah that's something that's mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting as well mm-hmm. uh, you know well, thanks for joining us today Paul I mean to, to kind of close up how can people, I mean, there's a lot of people that hopefully listen to this and, and want to help, which was, which was my aim for this. How, how can people help? How, how can they get in touch with you? You know, how can they donate soccer balls, donate their time, donate financially, you know, putting you in touch with people that can help mm-hmm. in any way possible, right?
1: Um, I think the best way is, uh, our website, org, is our website, uh, kita k-i-t-a nigeria the word nigeria all one dot org um that's the place you can go there and you have the donation button you have a place where you can actually get a hold of us and i get all the emails if um our email addresses are all there and everything else so
0: yeah well i hope anyone that's listening to that feels you know uh that if they're able to help that they can do that and certainly it's it's been a pleasure talking to you and, and thank you for giving us your time. Uh, thanks for having me. No Indeed. problem. Thank you guys. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.